Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and purpose and destiny in your lives. And believe me, it is beyond your ability to even comprehend the greatness of this destiny, even if you tried to imagine the greatest possible, everlasting, ever enlarging destiny, it would be greater. For those of you that are new, before I get into this message, I want to introduce you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com, where there's a flip book written by myself with very original writing and understanding in much of it. And much of the print is highlighted in red, which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos, which verify the reality of what I am sharing here. And this message is about the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, who is the one true eternal God. revealed to man in Jesus Christ. Yes, God is great enough that he can condescend to this little speck of a planet and communicate with his creation. His love is so pure that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. You see, any lesser choice would obviously have a measure of corruption in, in it. This love is the opposite of corruption. It is the antithesis of corruption. It is the holiness of God, his perfection of love that is so pure that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. And from this indestructible foundation of reality, which is from this love, springs forth its ultimate expression in this, that God is so great in his love that it was always in the quality of his being from the infinite past and beyond the time and space realm. It was always within his infinite being of love to condescend as he did into this world and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, because he loved you so much as an individual and the world as well. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That love is amazing. And I am just about to soon publish a book called, might be called Afterlife Incredible, irrefutable in the next couple of days on Amazon. About 350 pages long, very in-depth research. Believe me, the love that God has is such to those that are genuine Christians that they say the love is beyond anything that you can comprehend in this world. There's no ability in this very inferior mere three-dimensional world to describe this love 
It's like God loves them like he would have died if it was just them he created. That's what they feel. Like they're the very apple of his eye, the most important thing in the whole universe to him. That's how much they experience of Christ when they stand before Christ and receive of his love as they are there right before him, standing there in his presence. So I just want to mention that to you. Of course, Jesus Christ is the full expression of God the Father in limited creature level to us to communicate on our creature level in this time and space realm. God must be in three personages to be almighty because he must rule, rule in the three aspects of existence which are beyond time and space. In the time and space realm, in the creation realm, as God the Son, God the Father beyond time and space, separate and above and beyond the creation realm, and filling all dimensions of existence in the creation realm of time and space and beyond with the Father. And so God rules in those three ultimate dimensions or aspects of life, which he must be in to rule in them. Anyhow, that's kind of a long introduction, isn't it? Um, well, this message is for those that have come to the saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, his full expression. And so I just want to um, begin to explain to you how I share these messages. Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And so I will seek to speak this message, allowing God to speak through me. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God out of a pure heart, in spirit and in truth, with great humility and reverence and love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are coming from the Spirit of God, so that we are speaking prophetically, or as it says in the Word, we are to seek to speak as the oracles of God or to prophesy, not in the sense of foretelling the future, but in the sense of whatever God would be speaking through us, whether it's a word of exhortation, encouragement, or a prayer, or yes, a prophetic word or a word of knowledge as well. So I will seek to do that, and that is something that is greatly lacking in the body of Christ in this day and age. In fact, the Word of God says in Matthew 24, 45 to 46, Who then is a faithful and a wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. So obviously, it is important that we are giving ministry of the word in due season. In other words, speaking what God is wanting us to say to one another, to build up one another, speaking as the oracles of God. And we're not blessed if we are just there to merely give knowledge. We are here to speak from our heart and to speak from the Spirit of God that dwells within us that are true, genuine, believers 
and the one true eternal God, who in the original Hebrew in the Old Testament is described as Yahweh, the Almighty's one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Yahweh Elohim, Elohim meaning the Almighty's one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is Yahweh, and so is the Holy Spirit Yahweh, and so is the Father Yahweh. Jesus said that he is the I am, that I am. And he visited Abraham in Genesis 18. There was three angels, and Abraham offers them a meal, and they eat and talk with them, and then Abraham addresses one of them as Yahweh. And so I am here to share with you about Yahweh, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, victorious over all corruption and death, because he is God in the flesh. <laughs> I heard some pastor the other day say, well, Jesus could have fallen just like any of us. He was very human. I don't think he was trying to belittle the deity of Christ, but that could be possibly inferred by that. Yeah, that's totally true. He did have the potential, but the emphasis is on this, that he had a spirit and a soul that was in such perfect love and union with the Father that he could live a perfect life and overcome all temptation because indeed he is God in the flesh. Yes, he did have that potential. But that potential could not cause him to sin because of his union. His spirit was perfect in union with the Father. It was on the cross when he was forsaken, as it were, by the judgment of God. He was still in union with the Father and said into thy hands, I commend thy, my spirit because he was in a state of selfless trust, not rebellion before the Father. And that is a union that is perfect, and that is why it says in Romans 1.4 that he rose from the dead by the spirit of holiness. Well, I'm here preaching a message, and I haven't even got into what God has given me for today. But I want to share with you that I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters from the Word of God, and then I only meditate on those two chapters for a half an hour. Don't know what I'm going to say, and I don't know what I'm going to say today, because I want to allow God to speak through me, to speak as the oracles of God. And I also seek for God to lead me in, in a hymn by the casting of lot, but not always. Sometimes I don't get the hymn, and then I know he wants me to just use my common sense and figure out the proper theme that has already been evident from the two passages I got. And so today I just picked a hymn that I thought would, that I stumbled across, that I thought would be the closest. I'm still stumbling, bleeding God to lead me. And he does in that way too in his providence. And so I want to share with you First of all, the hymn that we are going to sing before we enter into this message. And so we will play that hymn now from out of the possibility of 1,200 some odd hymns that I choose. I'll tell you the exact number. Possibility of 1,257 hymns and worship songs. Many of them from throughout church history, also from the underground church through the work of Watchman Nee, who was martyred in 1972 and his many co-workers that planted hundreds and hundreds of churches throughout China at that time. 
they'd created very beautiful songs with depth and meaning and beautiful tunes. And then there's the worship songs I've collected from various churches that were very gifted in worship from the past. Okay, first of all, I want us to play this beautiful worship song. Here we are. Deeper, higher, Christ is all our living. 
how wonderful. Without a vision, the people perish. And we need to have a vision that is so birthed in us by the Spirit of God in these last days, that as it says in the Word of God, that we are to give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And that is speaking of the Jerusalem in each city and town in your nation, in each community in your nation, that the glory of God, where the people of God come together is such that it becomes a torch that burns bright in your community and nation. This is the secret to conquering the nations with the gospel in these last days. In a time of such great darkness, where it says in Isaiah 60, gross darkness shall cover the earth. And at that time, which is speaking of this very time we are in now, it says, arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And God is saying by his spirit to the churches today, arise and shine, Take off the grave clothes of the loves of this world that have defiled you and rise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. And I want to share with you what I received today from the word of God by the casting of lot before God, which is very scriptural, extensively used in the Old Testament, used by the early church to choose the one that would take Judas's place and probably for a lot of other things used by the Moravians, a powerful movement of revival in church history that even used it to choose their wives. I'm not saying that you should necessarily do that. I'm not suggesting you go that far. Okay, but with some, God allowed that and because they were such a closely knit community. Now, here is what I received today from the word of God. Psalms 43, pardon me, I got the wrong um, position here. Yes, I, well, I, I did, my mistake. Psalms 43 and Jeremiah 45 by the casting of Lot. And there is a common theme between these two chapters and it is to hope in God and not to seek great things for ourselves. It is often the holiness of the Lord that offends people so that they stop putting their hope in God because they begin to get a wrong perception of who God is. And I can go in and explain that right now in detail, but I'm not. I want to, first of all, get into the Word of God here and read from these passages of Scripture that I received today, first from Psalms 43, a very short psalm, which I can read actually the whole psalm because it is very short about not very many verses now so i think i'll just read it from where i have it here judge me O god and plead my cause against an ungodly nation O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man for thou art the god of my strength why dost thou cast me off why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me onto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go onto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee. 
Oh God, my God. And by the way, when the word God is used in the psalm every single time, it is the word Elohim, which means the Almighty's, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they were aware back then of the various aspects of God's manifestation. Abraham talked to the Lord in person and ate food with him, as I described earlier. And it was the most sacred name that he used in addressing the Lord. He called him Yahweh, the most sacred name in the word of God for the name of God. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Brothers and sisters, we are in a time of gross darkness in this world. And there are a lot of people that are losing their jobs because of a very terrible economic depression that is taking place. And it's causing oppression when you don't know what's going to happen in your life and you feel so vulnerable. Your very existence is being threatened. Look, it's happened here in Canada where I live, where they canceled people's bank accounts so they couldn't buy or eat. What do you do when you have a family and a mortgage and everything to pay and they do that to you? It's extremely evil and cruel and against the Constitution. And yet, because of corruption and because people are more worried about their job than following the truth, they deny the truth for their job and obey orders that are totally corrupt against what is love, what is obviously right. And God is calling us as his people this day to be able to face trials and testings, but to know that we can trust him in it, that we can still hope. Yes, one can feel the enemy often attacks when he knows we're down because of the circumstances we're in. So he augments that trial by imposing upon us oppression and heaviness. It's a spiritual battle, brothers and sisters. And God is calling us as his people to be those that recognize in the midst of the trial what is happening, but above all, that God is there with us even when we do not feel him. As I mentioned earlier about Christ, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't saying that he was forsaken of God. He was experiencing God's judgment being taken upon him that was a sense of feeling forsaken. But he was in complete union with the Father. That's why he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He didn't have a fist of rebellion when he said that. When we're in trial, sometimes we don't understand and we think it's strange. Concerning the trial that is to try us as though some strange thing happened to us, as is mentioned in Peter. And God says not to think it's strange, but to trust him rather. Not to lean on our own understanding, which is what's happening when we're beginning to say, well, why would God do this? There must be something that God hates about me. Why would he allow everything to go wrong in my life? He must hate me. No, there's a spiritual battle and he's trusting. He's wanting to see if you're going to come through. He's looking for that faith through the fire, the fire that is causing the gold to come to the surface so that the dross is exposed in your life so that you can repent of the things of negativity that come out of that trial and trust him rather than letting the enemy condemn you and say, see, that's who you really are. You're no good. God's rejected you. God hates you. 
God has rejected you. You're finished, just like the children of Israel that went into the wilderness. No, that's not what God is saying. That is what the enemy is saying, and that's what your own heart is saying. But the word of God says that when our heart condemns us, God, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And so the psalmist here recognized this, and he said, in the midst of the trials he was facing, in wanting to see godliness in his nation, he says, for thou art the God of my strength. Why? Yes, he, he, he was questioning why go I mourning, and so on. But then he says this, O oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me onto thy holy hill. May I approach your holy presence in this trial. May I come before your holy, holy presence to your place of habitation of glory. I come now, and he experienced entering into the presence of God. Then will I go unto the altar of God. God, my exceeding joy. Is God your exceeding joy? If he's the hope of your life, he's your exceeding joy. He's the one that created you and he knows what's best for you and he loves you so much that I explained that he poured out his life on the cross unto death in the outpouring of his body broken and his blood shed for you so that you could be repent and be forgiven and reconciled to God. And when you've done that, you can be assured that you can trust him, that he is your joy. I know when I start my time in prayer now, for some reason, when I say Yahweh, Almighty's one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as I'm approaching him in prayer, I just feel joy filling my heart. It's like the Lord is thrilled that I call him that name. I don't know why. He, I just feel the joy of the Holy Spirit well up within me. And I feel a joy and a delight to come before God. And yes, you can take the harp and praise him as Psalmus describes here in this psalm. So in the midst of being disquieted within us, as the psalmist describes here, we are to hope in God because we'll still praise him for eternity and we, we, can, we can still praise him here and experience him enlightened or fill our countenance with joy so that in the midst of the trial, there is joy that comes in to us. What was Paul and Silas doing when they were put in prison? <laughs> Their hands in stocks, suffering pain. They started to praise God. And they were not just praising God. Oh, we better praise God. That's the secret, you know. No, they were praising God because of who he is and because he was the delight of their life. Even in the midst of trials, they knew his presence come and break through into their oppression. And God sent an earthquake and freed them from the prison and even the prison guard was converted. You know, there's someone right now in jail in Saskatchewan. I believe his name is, um, I'm trying to remember his name now. I think it's Jeremy. Um, and they're treating him terribly all because he took a stand against the vaccines and has a movement. And uh, what's happened is he is um, being tortured there in solitary confinement, only allowed 15 minutes when they're supposed to allow two hours. They won't, he doesn't even have a washroom in his cell. And he, they won't let him go as much. And then when he has to go because there's no toilet, they get angry at him and say, you violated our rules. 
And so he's being terribly tortured. Pray for him. I don't know if this man knows the Lord. He most likely does because many of these people have been put in jail for taking a stand against these vaccines, which are now killing people in mass. The statistics are very clear from many valid scientific sources now, including the whistleblowers from the U.S. Army, which you can look at at rens-law.com, R-E-N-Z-law.com. They're taking major legal action against the Defense Department and so on for the 1,000 40 percent or is it 80 percent 1080 percent of neurological damage in u.s soldiers that have had two or more vaccines and others and of course that includes many deaths the chance of a child dying if he gets these vaccines is increased by 4423 percent that is a scientific fact that's from valid sources. Okay, so this is the hour we're living in, an hour of mass genocide, of the potential of nuclear war between Ukraine and Russia that could spread around the world. We are living in a serious time. It is time for the body of Christ to come together in this hour and to rise and to shine in the midst of the darkness because we can know victory on like the world in the midst of this time of great trial. I want to share with you the other chapter I received, which is Jeremiah 45, 5. Well, it's Jeremiah 45, but I, it's a short chapter. It's about Baruch. I mean, I might be able to get to it um, on my little electronic thing here. Um, at least I give it a shot. But it's about, um, let's see what we get here. Okay, I went the wrong way. Just go in there now. It's, uh, okay. Well, I'm just going to read the one that's the important verse. It's only got five verses, I believe. Um, and it says this concerning Baruch. He was the one that was the scribe that wrote for Jeremiah's, Jeremiah received words from God. And Jeremiah by the Spirit said this to Baruch. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not, for behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. But thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. In other words, I'm going to preserve your life. Brothers and sisters, when the COVID thing came out, the very time it came out, when it just had come out, I experienced the angel of the Lord come into my room. I didn't see him. But I knew it was not just the presence of the Holy Spirit. I knew an angel came into my room. I could feel his presence. And I heard him, not audibly, but very almost like audibly say, I will protect you from this virus. And I have to say the Lord has protected me from it. And I won't go into the details for time and how I have experienced his protection from it. But I have is supernatural protection because it has terrible side effects. Thank God I only took one vaccination of it. And uh, a few hours after I went dizzy and double, was seeing double, I laid hands on my head and immediately went. I was probably getting a clot that would have killed me. I want to share with you um, also Joshua from Joshua 24, because I wanted a little more insight sometimes. So I then I asked for another chapter and I got by a lot. Joshua 24, 
And it's a long chapter, but Joshua's bringing God's people together to make a covenant before the Lord. And he says this, and Joshua said unto the people, ye cannot serve the Lord for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nave, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua in this passage, and I can easily get it on here. I did see it in here electronically. Um, so I will try to get to it. Um, he, um, he mentions here, and Joshua gathered the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nacar. And they served other gods. And he warns them against serving these gods. And the other side of the flood could also mean that it is referring to the pre-flood world, which is, of course, highly verified by archaeology as well and by science, which a lot of people in their ignorance these days don't even know about. But in the pre-flood world, it was uh, Cain that developed an idolatrous perception of God that caused him to bring a wrong sacrifice before God because he had in measure in him uh, an unthankfulness. Why is God allowing all of this? Why, you know, all this suffering in my life because of the curse? Why all this suffering around me? And so you begin to somewhat have, a, oh, you, you still know you're, that God is God and you must worship him, but there's a kind of an alienation and kind of an attitude of unthankfulness in the questioning. Instead of trusting God like the psalmist did and delighting in God, we begin to begin to say, well, if God is so holy that his holiness has to let all this happen, then what kind of God is he? This is the kind of mindset. But I guess we, and so you begin to have a perception of God as this dictator that must be appeased with your sacrifice. Yeah, God will be pleased with me if I sacrifice, if I show how I can do this. But no, you don't see his holiness and who he is and his being in love as good. It says to worship God out of the beauty that comes out of what? Holiness. Worship God in the beauty of, out of, holiness. Holiness is the integrity of his love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love. It is a love that is so pure. It will not tolerate corruption. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. And we should delight in this love and not get our eyes on the consequences around us of this world and its suffering because what God has in mind out of all of this is love in its ultimate consummate purpose that is ever enlarging and expanding in that destiny which is assured because of his holiness called heaven that will conquer this world in the near future with his love and the kingdom of heaven will result in a new heaven and a new earth 
And believe me, it's a lot bigger than this pleasant one. The people that have traveled to heaven, that have entered into the afterlife and come back, know how much bigger. This planet is like a little, little teeny speck compared to heaven, okay? That's how big heaven is. That's just one aspect of it. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I want to share with you here that Abraham was warning against what happened to the fathers. They fell into adultery. You see, when you have an attitude like Cain, it was not long after, I think it was something like 400 years, they were into polytheism already. The first city that was built, Arudu, not known to be sure that it was built by Nimrod, but the second city, Nineveh, was. And it was an amazing, magnificent city, if you know anything about the archaeology. Look up David Rohl, R-H-O-L is his last name. He highly confirms all of these things that have happened in the pre-flood world and how they are seen in the first cities. And of course, you have there in the attitude, when you have an attitude that God is an all-powerful being, the next thing you can begin to think is, oh, maybe there's other beings that are just as powerful as God. So you end up believing in many gods. Now, back then, they did believe at first in the city of Arudu and the one God, and but they started to call him the moon God, which is this wrong perception of God that Cain had that probably came from Ham, the son of Ham that rebelled against God in the way he treated Noah with disrespect instead of covering him. And out of that came an unholy union with an angel that married probably into um, the son of Ham's daughter, I forget her name. And then you have Nimrod, who was 15 feet tall, that... uh, was ruthless and very filled with very majestic music and so on and filled with great wisdom and but he terribly oppressed the people and he introduced uh, this this false belief and of course in the last days the antichrist will in a type be raised from the dead in a similar way uh, trying to imitate the resurrection of christ and it could be because they found the tomb of Nimrod and are keeping it hid that this could be that he will come back from the dead. But that's all speculation. I don't want to get into those things that are speculative. The issue here is that there was this idolatrous perception of God, monotheistic idolatrous perception of God that happens. But God is calling us as his people in these last days to be those that do not fall prey to this deception that comes out of the pressure of trials that of those that rebel and forsake God because they lost the genuine fear of God. The genuine fear of God always brings a person to delight in God. It is a right perception of God and his holiness that sees the holiness of God as good and delights in the purity of God's love that would be so severe, so severe on us and on others that refuse to come to the place of surrender to his love. But when we do, you cannot know the greatness of God's mercy until you first genuinely fear God. And when you do, you will be turned in your heart, in the depth of your heart, 
to reciprocate who God really is, that he is ultimately trustworthy. He can only be ultimately trustworthy if he's ultimately good. And he can only be ultimately good if he's holy. That is, that his love has absolute integrity to be so pure, to not tolerate what is contrary to love, which is all that is corrupt. God is calling us in this hour to turn to him, to turn back to the genuine fear of God from which is birth, genuine conversion and rebirth, which has happened from the beginning of time, from the time of Adam till now. People have experienced being born again of the Spirit and entering into a deep union with God, such as Enoch, such as Elijah, and so on. And I don't have time to get into the difference between the time after Christ and before Christ in this message. I can just explain to you the secret is in John 14 that says, For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And before Christ, the soul and spirit couldn't be cleansed, but the spirit could still dwell with them so that he knew them because their flesh could be cleansed by animal sacrifice. They knew only God could forgive them, not the animal. And I'm just going to explain that. So it's there's always a remnant that experienced the Spirit of God dwelling with them. It was like their soul was a fist. It opened up onto the mercy of God as an open hand, and the other open hand comes against it, which is the presence of God, and you have two hands of prayer. Those hands can't close, and you have the divine new nature described in First John, which says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But it, before that, what does it say? Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. So when you're born of God, it is the spirit of faith in you that is by the dwelling of the spirit of God with your spirit before in the Old Testament. The same reality was true. It's just that now there is the indwelling instead of the mere dwelling of the spirit with. So anyhow, I don't want to get into that too much. I must have given a pretty long message here. Um, I try to keep them short, but God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. I want to emphasize that I have a book coming out, Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, very soon, but also I think the most important book for what is going to bring forth the kingdom of God in this hour to conquer your nation is the book I have, God Headship in Body Invasion which gives you many suggestions, but basically shows you how to not limit to the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly so that God's glory begins to come down in a fullness in your midst that breaks the darkness over your city and your nation. God is calling us to fulfill John 17 and to become his fearless conquering bride in these last days. Are you going to call forth unto the Lord. Are you going to hear his call when he calls you? And are you going to call on him in trial and oppression like King David did and find your hope in God? God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message.